so what to do? What to do? Uh, usually Will has been uh, taking the evening services in recent times. He's been leading us through First uh, Thessalonians, uh, hasn't he? And Will, is, he's gone, he's vanished. And so where should, where should I go? And uh, what should we do uh, this evening? Well, perhaps you will recall, and maybe you won't, but perhaps you will, you recall a while back, we looked together in an evening services, we looked at uh, two uh, slightly more, I suppose, theological sermons, broader, uh, more biblical theology. Uh, I preached first, was on Christ as prophet a while back. We looked at that in an evening service, Christ as prophet. And then we followed that up with Christ as king. Everyone remembers it well. That's good. That's encouraging. What does that leave? If we're to think about Christ's threefold office, if we've looked at Christ as prophet and we've looked at Christ as king, there is this glaring omission, isn't there? Christ as priest, prophet, priest, and king. And Christian friends, that's what we are uh, going to do uh, for a short while tonight. We're going to, this evening, think about, in broad brush strokes, Christ as priest. And I will be honest with you at the outset and frank with you. There is a lot to cover in a short space of uh, time. So I am keen that we get going with this, okay? So straight off the bat, what was a priest? What was a priest? Well, a priest uh, in the Old Testament was in very many ways kind of similar to a prophet. A priest similar to a prophet in that they both worked in that little middle ground between God and man, didn't they? A priest, a prophet, both working in that area between God and man. But where a prophet worked from God to man. Didn't they? A prophet would take here a, a, a message from Almighty God and bring it to God's people. Do you notice a priest works the other way around? So a prophet works from God to man. A priest, a priest stands in that middle ground, but a priest acts as a representative of God's people before Almighty God. And there were two sides, really, I suppose, to the Old Testament work of a priest. Two sides, both with great names, funky names. So first, priests would make atonement. We know that, don't we? All of that killing of animals and sprinkling of blood. But priests also, so we've got making atonement, but priests also made what was called intercession. And this evening, although we are going to touch on and mention the reality of atonement, tonight it's the second area that will be our focus, the idea of the Old Testament priest making what was called intercession. And what we're going to explore is how the Lord Jesus Christ, even today, he continues that work of intercession and then we're going to consider how that should impact how you and I, how we pray. So does everybody see what we're doing? We're thinking about Old Testament priest and intercession. 
We look at Jesus and his intercessory work, and then we land in each of these things with, well, what does that mean for you? And what does this mean for for practically how we should pray and and what prayer is? So that is the, the, the plan. Now, three headings this evening comes as no shock to anyone, I guess. The first thing that we need to consider together is Jesus' meaningful intercession. So let's make sure we have that. Jesus' meaningful intercession. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, if we're going to get anywhere with this uh, topic tonight, if we're going to get to grips with this in any way, shape, or form, then what I think we're going to need is some sort of working definition of what we're talking about when we are talking about intercession. Uh, so what is your understanding of the free church and your background with the free church? Uh, some have been... In the free church since the day they were born, others, uh, like myself, are, uh, you know, we weren't, we're, we're new to it, okay? I don't suppose it matters. I think we probably all realize that in a traditional free church service, more often than not, there were two main prayers. You get that idea. No, okay, there's bits of prayer here and there, but really there's two main, two main, main prayers, affectionately for a, a very long time, known as the shorter prayer, (laughs) and the longer prayer, okay? Well, that longer prayer, I think more accurately, we could think about that as being a prayer of intercession. Now, you see it, don't you? So, unlike the first prayer, where we are adoring God and asking God to bless the worship service, what happens in the second prayer? Yes, there's confession of sin, but have you noticed what happens? Very often, the minister will take things, events, world events, people, and we will bring these things to God in prayer. That helps us. It does. Because what is intercession? And the young people, even those who are really struggling, haven't been away for the weekend at an SU camp. You can all waken up and listen. What is intercession? Get this. Intercession is prayer to God on behalf of others. Everyone, that's intercession. Prayer to God on behalf of, of others. Now, stick with me. Yes, intercession really was a crucial part of the priestly work in the Old Testament. You follow that? Yes, it was. So it was a crucial part of the priestly work. But do you know what we have to do? We have to pay really close attention to Old Testament imagery, imagery, if we're going to see that. Okay, so we've got two questions. Let's, let's get these two questions. Number one, what did the Old Testament priests do in regard to all of this stuff? What did they do? Did you follow the first reading? in Leviticus 16. Like, it sounds a bit strange, but it is one of my favorite portions of Scripture in all of God's Word. But I'm going to be the first person to put my hand up and say it is a complicated section of Scripture, isn't it? Leviticus 16. Well, the key thing uh, for you to get this evening and just now is this. Now, listen carefully. In Leviticus 16, in between the priest's work of atonement. So after the priest had sacrificed an animal, what the priest was instructed to do was to burn incense. Did everyone get that? 
So after an animal has been slaughtered, next job for the priest is to go through the veil and burn incense. Now, what do you think? There's a lot going on in Leviticus 16. And so you might think, well, that isn't a particular, particularly significant of burning incense. What is fascinating is how the rest of Scripture explains what's happening there. So the rest of Scripture shows us that this burning of incense was symbolic of prayer being offered to God. You get that? So, so I'll read it to you. Like, let's go for Psalm 141. Listen, it talks about prayer to God being offered, listen, as incense. Or I'm sure you can think of examples, actually, but what about Revelation chapter 5? So it says this, the bowls of, the, of incense, which are offered as the prayers of the people of God, as the prayers of the saints. So, so everybody see the imagery here. We're asking the question, what do priests do? They burnt incense. And what was this? This was symbolic of the priests praying. Everyone with me so far? That's question one. Follow-up question that we have to ask then is obvious, isn't it? For whom? For whom are they, are they praying? Well, I think some of you probably have uh, seen the Brit Awards. What was that last week or the week before? And you've probably seen some of the pictures and, of the red carpet and the Brit Awards. And it was nothing like that. But you have to understand that when these priests were called to enter into the temple and perform their duties, they were instructed to put on very special, particular garments, clothing. Now, as part of this outfit, I want you to try and picture it, the high priest had a large plate, and the plate was put across his chest. And upon this plate was inscribed, what? Do we know? Inscribed on this plate were all of the names of the 12 tribes of Judah. So I just put it over to you. You can take these pieces of the jigsaw, can't you? You can put it together, can't you? Like, what is it? Incense being burnt as the high priest wears this chest piece? What's happening there? The high priest is praying, offering prayer. And for whom? Do you see? Leviticus 16, what's happening is prayer is being offered for for all of God's people on behalf of all of the, the children of Israel. It's actually, when you look at the imagery, it's a beautiful thing. I, I don't know what, uh, what the last gig you went to was. I don't know what the last concert you might have seen or heard. I don't know what that might have been. Maybe it's going back before COVID. Maybe it's been a while. I don't know. But that, what we've seen there, to me, sounds like the support act a little bit, doesn't it? I mean, it's quite interesting for us to, to come in and, and we dig into the Old Testament. And, and yes, we see what the priests are doing. Why are you here tonight? Aren't we here to consider Jesus? Aren't we? So what do we ask? We, we ask, well, how should these Old Testament ideas inform our understanding of Christ and his work for us? Well, what, what do we know? Come on, Christian friends, what do we know? We know this, don't we? We know that everything, everything in that Old Testament temple system, every part of it existed to point the people to Jesus. Don't we know this? 
Like even the way it's constructed, it is modeled on the heavenly temple where the Lord Jesus Christ works. And did you notice in Leviticus 16, the high priest had to wash (laughs) and he had to change his garments, pointing to the cleanliness, the purity, the sinlessness of our Lord Jesus Christ. But there is something else. Because what did I say a moment ago? You'll remember I said that in the Old Testament, I said intercession was made in between atonement, didn't I? So I said that priests made a sacrifice for sin and then they burn incense. Now, what we have to get is the fact that that was not just an arbitrary running order. Oh, it's much better and much greater than that. Indeed, I need you to understand that coals, coals were used in the sacrifice for sin coals. I mean, this animal slaughtered and then a burnt offering. Coals were used. And what did God demand of the high priest? This. He demanded that those same coals, the sin offering, that they were taken through. And it was the same coals that were to be used to burn the incense. Do you not see the significance of that? Listen, It is atonement that is the foundation of intercession. Do you follow? Do you see it? It was the sacrifice for sin that provided the peace with God that enabled intercessory prayer to be made. It was atonement. Everything was about atonement. Atonement was the foundation and the foundation for intercession. And when you linger on that for a moment. Do you not rejoice? Doesn't it drive you to praise? Because what does that detail point you to? Friends, it's the fact that Christ's constant, constant prayer on behalf of his people, it will be effectual and it will be heard. Not because Christ has done anything with any coals, but why? His prayer is heard because of Calvary because of the Lord Jesus Christ once and for all atoning sacrifice for sin. And I think that for our church should be such a stimulant for prayer. Don't you? I mean, you think about our privileged position for a moment. I think about the other side of the cross. Our forefathers, all they had were symbols, didn't they? They had symbolic expression like this incense, like these coals. What about us? We have the real deal. We have absolutely everything. We know, you know, that when you pray just now and tonight and this week, when you pray, it will be heard by Almighty God. And why? All because of the spilt blood of the Lamb. Atonement the foundation for intercession. So we see Jesus' meaningful, meaningful intercession. Second of all, let's consider Jesus' perpetual, (coughs) excuse me, Jesus' perpetual intercession. Um, So uh, not to harp on about this for time and time again, but before I became the minister here in Dundee, I was elsewhere and I was in a church in London for 10 years or so. So if you go back to the beginning of that, uh, what I found when I came into that church in London 
was a rather unsettled congregation. Unsettled. There's no hint of criticism there at all. I hope it doesn't sound like there is. It was unsettled because of a series of ministerial vacancies. So you can, you can imagine why that would unsettle a congregation, can't you? So what happened was that this you know, minister had been there for a long time, lovely guy, and, and then he announces he's off, he's going, and there's a vacancy. Then he was replaced by somebody else who was there for a few years, and then news comes through, he's going as well. Then another chap comes and he's there for a year or 18 months or something like that. And then, uh-oh, news comes through and he's away. So you can understand, I'm sure, that is unsettling, this, this turnover for a congregation. Now, when you think back to the Old Testament temple, you must try and envisage a similar situation there. The high priest was what? They were human. These high priests, they would get ill. They would fall into sin sometimes. These high priests would die. So when you think about the Old Testament temple system, you must think about a turnover of high priest after high priest. This unsettling feature of cultic life in the, in the Old Testament. Now, obviously, when we think about Jesus' priesthood, things are very, very different. But I think it's important that we understand what the Bible says about this. So I'm going to ask you to do this. Um, Could you turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5? Would you do that for me, please? Hebrews 5, just what we were reading. Maybe we'll cheat Tony, will we? Will we put Hebrews 5 verse 6 up on the screen? There we go. So you've got Hebrews 5 open in front of you, verse 6. And we're thinking about the, 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 the high priest turnover. What's the name that, that grabs you there as you look at Hebrews 5? So where the Old Testament priests, they were according to the order of Aaron, weren't they? It's something different here. Jesus belonged to something different. He belonged to the order of, and it's a great name, isn't it? Melchizedek. Uh, Melchizedek. So the question we ask, of course, is who is he? Um, well, do you, do, you, do you like football? Uh, some of you do. Some of you cannot stand uh, football regardless. I'm sure if we cast our minds back to late last year, We'll all remember what was going on. Uh, we'll remember like, before the World Cup, there was all of that talk, all of the speculation about, you know, for every country, apart from Scotland, I suppose, but every country, the speculation about who's going to make the World Cup squad. Do you remember that? Everyone, is he going to get in? Is he going to get in? Is he getting? It's a bit sickening, I, I, I'm sure. Who's going to make it? Now, it reminded me of a situation a few years ago. The older people will remember this. I think it was about... 2006, and the then England manager, the England football manager, so it was Sven Goran Eriksson. So he announced his World Cup squad, and he caused this major shock because in 2006, he announced that this player, Theo Walcott, was going to make this squad. Now, most of us might even have heard of Theo Walcott now, right? 2006, 
The thing you've got to get is hardly anybody had heard of Theo Walcott, okay? So Theo Walcott had never played for England before. Theo Walcott had never been even in an England squad before. Theo Walcott had never even been in an England under-21 squad before. And here he was in the World Cup squad. And he would go on to, to do well. He would go on to, to make a, you know, a, a great career from, I think I'm right in saying, he even scored like two weeks ago. He just goes on and on and on. You're wondering, aren't you? Andy, what are you doing? I need you to understand that's the sort of thing that we are dealing with here in Hebrews chapter 5. See this chap, Melchizedek. He just appears in the book of Genesis. And when I say to you, he just appears, I mean Melchizedek just seems to appear in, in the story of Abraham. I mean, he appears without a lineage. He just comes to us without mention of his ancestry or history. And, and he just appears and he acts spectacularly. He just seems to, to go on and go on. Do you see? When Hebrews speaks about Jesus as being from his order, what's Hebrews doing? Hebrews is speaking about the perpetual, ongoing nature of Jesus, great high priesthood, that though Jesus' atoning work, it's done, isn't it? Isn't it? That once and for all work, it's done. Jesus continues as priest, and he continues to offer intercession. Verse 6, what did it say? It says of Jesus, you are a priest, next word, forever, forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, where in the first point, and cast your mind back, where in the first point we saw that the cross was the foundation of Jesus' intercessory work, here, when we think about Christ's perpetual intercession, here, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is, is, is ever so important. I, I will turn this over to you. It's the easiest question. But why is it that Christ's great high priesthood will never have the same worry as the Old Testament? Why is it that Christ's priesthood will never have to worry about illness or interruption or death? We all know the answer. It's because death is already behind the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? Since Jesus Christ is raised, he is risen, he is ascended. <laughs> I love the idea that there will never be needed a vacancy committee. Never be needed a vacancy committee for our Lord's priesthood. That he is, he continues to be perpetually, forever, ongoing, interceding before the Father. And on your behalf, interceding for us, ongoing. And that is that's so marvelous, isn't it? But practically, what does it do? Well, if in the first point, things should change our attitude to prayer, I think Christ's perpetual intercession should change the frequency of our prayer. I wonder if you see the logic there. It should change the frequency of our prayer. What a glorious thought it is to think that Christ has never taken any time off since his ascension. 
in praying for his people. Isn't that something? Through the early church, through every year of their struggle, Christ prayed for them. And through those essential years of the Reformation, Jesus Christ praying for his church. And Christian friends, through those times in your life where you've been crying out to God in tears, crying out, not for a minute, as Christ stopped, stopped praying and interceding on your behalf before, before the God the Father. Do you see what that does? Surely that pushes us to pray and to pray more. Because what is it that the Bible confirms? I love Hebrews 7, verse 25. You'll love it too, don't you? He ever lives, we hear. But why? What is it? He ever lives to intercede. So we see Christ's meaningful intercession. We see Christ's perpetual intercession. And then thirdly and lastly and most briefly, uh, we see Jesus' sympathetic intercession. Jesus' sympathetic intercession. Can you see what we're doing in each of the points tonight? I tried to make it clear at the beginning. What we're doing for each of the points this evening is we are dipping to start with into the Old Testament situation of the Old Testament priests. That's our, that's our go-to place to start with, okay? I think we can and ought to do that here as we, we think about the sympathy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you've got Hebrews 5 open, look at verse 2. And Tony, if we can put it up on the screen. I think it's helpful here. You read that. So what that is explaining to us is that even in the Old Testament situation, the role of the high priest came with an expectation of sympathy. Are you with me? Right, look what it says. So speaking about the Old Testament priesthood and the high priest, he is able to deal gently with the ignorant and, and wayward since he himself <laughs> is beset by weakness. Everybody with me? So I suppose it's the, the same idea as a counselor uh, today. What would you want from your counselor if you go to counseling? You'd want wisdom, but you would hope there would be a sympathetic, empathetic ear, wouldn't you? Or maybe even with your minister or even with the medics uh, in the room. What do we want with a doctor? We want our doctors to be sympathetic and show some sort of empathy. It was the same with the, with the high priest. It required empathy. Now, you see that, that idea? You see that, that emphasis on empathy? Do you, do you see that? Of course, that is only perfected, completed in Jesus Christ. But the, the matter that I want to end with is the question, well, why? How? <laughs> like, how is it that the Lord Jesus Christ is a more sympathetic high priest? Okay, now, where would you go? I wonder how you would answer that. I want to start with what you're not thinking about. So everyone's got the question, how is it Christ is more sympathetic than these Old Testament high priests? What do you, what do you expect me to say? What do you expect me not to, to say? Listen carefully. The Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man, he can take your prayers to the Father with every sympathy. Why? It's not what you think. Why? Because he is God. Why is he more sympathetic than these Old Testament high priests? Because he shares his Father's beautiful divine attributes. 
He takes your prayers to God. He, he sympathizes with you. Why? Because he's a God of measurable love. Jesus has love for you. He is, shows mercy to you. He's filled with compassion and care for you. Isn't it glorious? But then, of course, much more obvious. This is true. Jesus is our sympathetic high priest because he is the God man. And you've heard this. Oh, you've heard this a hundred thousand times. Haven't you veiled in flesh the Godhead see as you look to Jesus Christ? Do you know that? Oh, but would you just consider it again? Would you? The, 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 the marvelous nature of it. The wonder of Jesus' intercession. Think about this morning. The wonder of it is that he appreciates exactly what it is like to feel weakness. He can bring your, your prayers to God the Father with sympathy because he knows what it's like to be frail. Jesus Christ appreciates what it's like to sorrow and to feel pain. Jesus understands what it's like to be hurt. You know those uh, monitors that you used to get, the prefects you used to get in school Jesus' intercession is not like that, you know, huffing, taking a note between the classrooms and handing it over to a teacher. That's not Jesus' intercession for you. You understand he is filled, filled with empathy for you when you pray. You understand when you pray, your concern becomes our Lord's concern. And he's there and he intercedes and he pleads with the heavenly father. And he shows in that moment utter solidarity with his children, with his people. It is a glorious thought. And where should it lead? If in the first point, our attitude to prayer should be changed. <laughs> our second point, the, the frequency of our prayer should be changed. That we have a sympathetic high priest, doesn't it change the content of what you pray? Do you see the logic? Do you, do you see why? If Jesus Christ is going to bring your prayer to God the Father with all sympathy, oh, should we not lay our hearts bare before God? And do you do that? Do I do that? When we are struggling with habitual sin, when we are being attacked at university and at school for the fact that we stand up as a Christian, if we are lacking love for Jesus Christ, if he's going to deal with it, with empathy and sympathy, should we not pray and pray in total, full honesty to God? I am sure that you would agree when we begin to pick away at Christ's priestly office, we have much to praise Jesus for he has made a once and for all priestly, sacrificial offering to God. What has Jesus done? He has made intercession. But what else have we seen tonight? He's made, sorry, he's made atonement. What else have we seen? Christ continues his work. So tonight, as I'm speaking to you, he does it. Later on tonight. He continues his work, that priestly work. Tomorrow, as you get up, Christ continues. This week, forevermore. What does Jesus do? 
he makes intercession. And he does so for those he loves. Let's pray. Oh, our our God, we thank you. Uh, Supremely, we thank you. We pray in gratitude for the atonement. Uh, We thank you that there has been made a once and for all atoning sacrifice for our sin. We thank you for that picture of the coals being brought forward to be used in the burning of incense. We thank you that your great work of atonement is the foundation for your intercessory work on our behalf. Oh, Lord, oh, God, make us a prayerful people. Lord God, push us into the week that we might encounter you in communion. And we pray in Jesus' name.